Hello, and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show, where we niche down to a single topic, think about a question, and unpack the rest. So politics and tech often mix, but in this current moment, something feels different. So today we're asking, how does Rose reversal impact the ways that companies are built, particularly in red states? Luckily, I am not alone to answer this super nuanced question. We have two special guests, TC Plus reporters, Dominic Midori Davis and Becca Skutak. And they are actually on the show because they co-bylined a piece that inspired this episode. It's on TechCrunch Plus right now. It's called Roe Reversal Weighs Heavily on Emerging Tech Cities in Red States. So you can probably get a sense of tone, but to continue the conversation, Dom and Becca, welcome to Equity. Yes, thanks for having me. Thank you. Becca, you're back twice in one month, which feels like the equity way. So uh, double appreciate there. And the reason you both are on is because you recently wrote a story for TechCrunch Plus that was titled How Rose Reversal Weighs Heavily on Emerging Tech Cities in Red States. And so I want to go piece by piece in the story and really break down today's conversation in two buckets. One, I'm thinking we should start by talking about how companies are dealing with Rose Reversal internally when it comes to talking to reporters and how to deal with their current team members. And then I think we should go external, vague, broad, and talk about how to be mission-driven in this environment and where to actually physically build your company. Does that feel good to you guys? Yeah, definitely. Yep. Okay, cool. So we've heard a lot about Rose reversal from the highest level, which is that access to abortion is under attack and will be unavailable in the near future, if not already. But Dom, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about what the news is. It's been a couple of weeks since Roe has been overturned. How are we seeing it play out in tech right now? Yeah, I mean, we wanted to kind of get a vibe check with all the founders. The biggest concern really was that a lot of these emerging tech cities like Miami, Austin, even Cincinnati, you know, these places within conservative red states. So they're not necessarily within like the blue on blue bubbles like California and New York. The atmosphere is shifting a little differently in those spaces in terms of employee safety and like taking care of employees now and like attracting new workers really has a new meaning now when it comes to the Mm -hmm. fact that like you can live in Miami and that's awesome, but you now have to live in Florida, which is an entirely different thing. And so we're starting to see a lot of founders rethink or at least maybe implementing a lot of hybrid work or leaning into remote work more or really thinking about new ways to attract employees. A lot of VCs have been poking around and talking within their networks and sensing that there is a little hesitation, but it might be too early really to see what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sticking to the venture conversation, since Becca, that's been your beat for so many years here. I'm curious, you know, you guys thought of the story idea and you started reaching out to people. How has the venture community been reacting high level? It's definitely been a mix. It's interesting. Some of the people I reached out to to speak for this story were based in some of those non-traditional venture hubs in the Midwest as well as in Texas. And I was surprised by the fact that some of them weren't willing to sort of comment on it, even though compared to some of the other people who were willing to talk or some of the other people who were more public on, say, Twitter, were more impacted because they were either based in one of those states or they touted their investing strategy was to invest in those states. So that was something that definitely I found was interesting was just there were a lot of people who just weren't willing to talk about it. And like Dom mentioned, a lot of them said just because it's so fluid right now and they're not sure. But I mean, on the flip side of the coin, you kind of can have a position 
either way, in my opinion, at the moment of what you would want to happen from here. I know it's so funny. I feel like the exodus to Austin in the heart of the pandemic was very much this really cool tech culture story of moving you know, out of Silicon Valley into a now not so emerging and fully emerged tech scene for the weather and for diversity and variety of reasons. And to see it age kind of weirdly where it's like, yeah, we want that, but not all of it is unfortunately not super surprising. I think Texas, obviously no one's super surprised to see that Texas is going to have a difficult time with Rose reversal. And so in some ways I was like, did companies not have a contingency plan for making comments on these sorts of things happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And something else that I found from chatting with lawyer Ed Zimmerman, who's also a LP in a ton of funds, as well as an investor in companies as well. He was saying it's from chatting with people in his network. Some people are really upset that this happened, but at the same time, they consider themselves to be sort of champions of some of these emerging tech hubs. So it's like, well, where does your messaging go from there? If you're a company who's always really like ingrained your identity and being like, we were the first X in Texas, we were the first X in Oklahoma, to now be like, you kind of have to go against that in your messaging. And he was just saying that even though the news upsets a lot of them, they're in this really weird gray area where it's just going to be a little harder to refine the messaging they want to go from there. Yeah, Dom, you mentioned hybrid workforce taking potentially an even more direct role in response to this reversal. Yeah, I know some founders in Miami, they said that although they have an office and that they will allow employees to come in frequently or whenever they want, that they most certainly will not require anyone to come in if they don't feel safe entering the state. And I heard about that also in Atlanta. I think like the lead story that we used was the founder that literally made a job offer that day to someone who was going to relocate from California to Georgia. And then immediately after the SCOTUS decision was dropped, the founder literally like put the offer on hold because she was like, oh, I can't ask this woman to move to Georgia if she might not have, you know, health rights. And so where she's going right now is like on a case by case basis in terms of now she's allowing people if they want to move to come in, but it's not going to be a requirement. It's interesting, but I really, really do think that this is probably just going to push further for remote work, which kind of might help these companies in terms of tapping into talent all throughout the nation since they're not requiring anyone to come in. Yeah, I mean, it's making me think a lot of like, sure, remote work is definitely like a benefit to some people these days. What are other benefits that companies can take in addition to that to make sure their employees, you know, not just can live where they want, but let's say this ends up showing up in different unexpected ways. We've already been surprised by the actual reversal itself. What are ways that we're going to be able to see companies support their employees? And I was talking to a VC recently who basically said workplace benefits and employee retention benefits are going to be the first thing on the cutting board in response to the downturn right now. And so I'm kind of like, it's this weird tension where employee benefits are more important than ever before, but also to have employees and to pay money for employees feels like something that founders are clearly, based on our layoff coverage, really struggling with right now. And I don't know, Becca, I know you're looking into something similar. So do you see one side of that tension necessarily? winning right now. What further complicates that too is I know if say even if a company wants to say cover all of the potential abortion services for all of their employees regardless of location, they're not only going to run into sort of an HR nightmare of having different benefits for different employees based on location, which essentially with different state regulations on other things, you have to kind of do that already for certain things. But this would just add another headache in that regard. Plus from speaking with a lawyer, he said he wasn't sure exactly like how this will end up playing out. Companies that offer this are technically setting them up 
to commit a misdemeanor. It's technically a form of nonviolent protest if you were to like pay for those services for an employee in a state where you know that you're not supposed to. Whoa. Yeah, so he was saying, he was like, I don't know exactly like how much enforcement there'll actually be or kind of where it'll go from there. But that is something for companies to take into consideration because even the companies who are like right out the gate, like, yes, of course we would cover that. Yes, of course we would do that. Even if they do end up pursuing that, it's a pretty big headache, it seems like, to be able to figure out, implement it, and then kind of navigate it from here until, well, who knows? I mean, that's so wild to think about, though, because a lot of companies have come out and said like, yeah, you know, we'll just cover the cost and all these things. And even transportation, I think like early on, there were thoughts like, oh, my gosh, what happens if someone wants to go from Texas to like, I don't know, California to get this procedure done? Like, can that be against the law? There's so many nuances and headaches that are buried deep within what this is. And it's just going to be part of the domino effect of this overturn and of everything that's coming out of this. I mean, even didn't Biden announce recently or they're trying to pass something where doctors, medical professionals have to, you know, if if the mother's life is at risk, they have to do something. Right. And I mean, that's just going to be once again, another nuance in terms of like, well, now you have to prove the mother's life is at risk. Right. And so I don't know, this is going to be this is an interesting new normal for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Our producer just sent a link. And just to confirm, it's looking like the Biden administration on Monday told hospitals that they, quote, must provide a abortion services if the life of the mother is at risk and citing federal law without any exceptions despite the Supreme Court's decision. And that's according to CBS News. So I think you're spot on in saying, sure, some clarity, but nuance. Nuance and startups don't go that well together either, right? Because by nature, they have to do hyperspeed, hyperscale. And I think it's obviously much easier to offer a benefit such as masterclass than how to help your staff get digital healthcare on something that is controversial right now and very much under attack. And so that just like, as you're saying that, like raised a super red flag to me, which is like, it's not even enough for startups to want to do well. It's like, the actual execution of it is going to be a huge headache. Yeah, it's kind of like just another layer in terms of the pressure that we put on founders. They have to be everything, right? As we depend more on businesses and corporations to really make up for the shortfalls of the government. I think Brittany said this in the article in terms of like founders step in where the government falls short. But it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm sure people don't necessarily start businesses expecting to be like political experts also. So and public health experts and <laughs> everything, yeah. <laughs> but now it's like maybe they have to be. Like I don't know. It's definitely going to be something, I would say. Mm. I would bet right now that there's at least like two three startups in stealth who are going to essentially like work on what the regulations would look like state by state. I just feel like there's been so many businesses formed in the last 2 years focused around remote work, being like, oh, we'll help your company figure out the tax regulations if you sign employees in different states, or we'll help you with sort of like the international coding and if you're hiring employees in different countries. I feel like that's just like the next step. I'm sure someone's like trying to capitalize on that. Oh my God, that would be amazing because I do think a lot of these global compliance-focused startups are rightfully focused on payroll, travel, expenses. And so I'm like, can we scale that playbook literally anywhere that has impact on our human rights. That would be lovely. (laughs) I mean, and I want to stay on this topic for a little bit. I didn't expect us to go here, but I'm very happy we are, which is digital health startups have a really insane role to play right now. But let's add in another layer. What if you're a digital health startup in a red state? 
Do you stay there and continue to operate? Do you kind of use that as an advantage in a time where like there's a bunch of scaling back and venture capital is getting a little bit more picky? I wonder if some companies won't be able to afford, even if they had the ambition, won't be able to afford to play offense during a time where they are much needed. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, like I've actually started the early stages of talking to some digital health startups, specifically ones that are focused in women's reproductive health to see how they're dealing right now. Oh, amazing. I've done one interview so far and the one founder when asked her was like, so what's next? She's like, we're going to expand throughout the country as fast as possible. And I was like, all right, they're going head first. They're they're just going at it. Because I mean, honestly, she brought up a good point. She said, you kind of have to, right? Like, it's not like they can just leave all those women in all these states. Like someone has to, you know, stay there, especially as clinics are shutting down, like there has to be someone or something there for them. I mean, it's going to be tricky, of course, but that's the early the early stages of the reporting. We'll see what other founders say. I'm so glad that came up. And it's like definitely like I was talking to Hey Jane a while ago and they are a digital health startup that scales access to abortion pills. They were actually on equity. And when the Roe v. Wade decision got leaked, Hey Jane started to figure out a way to fundraise and a lot of spotlight and press requests, us included, were coming their way. And so it's like, how do you take this moment to go even harder toward your goal? I mean, in some ways, I'm like, I hope this is like what we've been building towards during the pandemic, which is like the ability for founders to take actual risks, either because they have venture capital or because some part of their business has been de-risked by the overall growth of emerging startup hubs of digital health at large. It's like, I don't know, I'm partially optimistic, but of course, I also could totally see it being very difficult to try and sell to a consumer you don't know if you can get in legal trouble for. Yeah. Yeah. And you definitely also don't necessarily know the politics of every woman in the state. So it's going to be it's I mean, this is all just, again, a new normal. But I mean, it's good that people are already starting to say like, hey, we're going to fight. That's good. Yeah. I mean, Becca, it's hard to hear at the beginning of the episode, you said some of the investors have been kind of quiet on this front. And I guess it's hard to hear that in a way because I'm like, these also are the people that could change how ambitious these companies can be. And I don't know if it's like a minority of investors, a majority of investors, but I do think it's weird. You can be in support of increasing access to abortion, but you can also need to now deliver more money to your LPs and only bet on startups that are going to have like less volatile 2022. And so squaring those two things at the same time, I'm not envious of investors right now. No, no. And I know I definitely was surprised by some of the no answers I got, but from the people I did talk to, and we've already mentioned this on this podcast, just it's something that on the forefront, you're like, oh, this is so easy to say yes or no. It's so easy to have like a direct opinion or a direct Mm -hmm. thing to say. But then once you peel the layers back, it's like, who knows? I don't know any of those investors LPs. What if their LPs are people who maybe supported the politicians who have those kind of mandates? It's just like every, I feel like at the moment, even people who have a firm opinion are just very scared of stepping on toes and just want to make sure they kind of have all their bases covered before saying something, Mm -hmm. which on the one hand, it's like, I understand from like the legal perspective as well as just some of the more nuanced relationships involved in this industry. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, come on. Yeah. You could still kind of like at least acknowledge that it's a complicated thing, but that you have your own opinions. Especially on it. because I feel like, you know, if we weren't two years ago, we most certainly right now are at like a political turning point. And I'm not sure how long a lot of people, especially if in this space, can just not acknowledge anything. I right. think that this is certainly like this is a turning point. So I don't know. They're not going to stay silent for long. I don't think they can't. Yeah. 
No, that's such a good point because it's definitely one of those instances where even if they do have an opinion or maybe they are in support of women having the right to choose, them not saying something speaks volumes on its own. And I feel like people, maybe they know that and they're still sort of bummed that that's the situation. But I mean, if you don't say something, regardless of how nuanced it is, that kind of just tells everyone what your position is, even if that's not actually the case. I know. I mean, a part of my petty, but also just like, you know, journalistic side wants to have a story that just has like a list of everyone who declines to comment. And I think that would be so powerful. <laughs> like okay. the third subhead would be everyone who declined to comment. And then you, oh my God, <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, if you, if you want to put it in, in a newsletter format, let me know. We can talk about that. That'd be amazing. Um, but I wanted to return to something that Becca, you, you brought up, which is like this messy web of influence and why it gets some people to talk or not talk. Because I think that is really the heart of tech and politics being so intertwined, but also no one really wanting to talk about it out loud, which is obviously like when it comes to like the money behind the money, we've known that for a long time that like incentives may not always align. And I always feel like we tell founders or investors tell founders and we tell them this, which is like, be careful of who you take your money from. And this feels like one of those things where like if you were, you know, head down in 2021 and just taking money when it was offered to you or fairly as an emerging fund manager looking to raise from LPs and you didn't do all the vetting, but you you kind of got that big yes. I could totally see it aging weirdly. And I don't know, I, mean, I think a little bit about like visas and how visas should still be a bigger conversation within tech and access to H-1Bs. But during the Trump administration, that was something I spent a lot of time reporting on for other outlets. And I think that even then it was like this very clear thing of like, there's a talent shortage, you need skilled workers, but people wouldn't comment on it just because of the same thing. And so it's both old and new. And in some ways, I think seeing companies actually say out loud that we're going to be like changing where we're located or changing offers. I guess I hope we see more tangible examples of reactions beyond just statements. Mm -hmm. I know one of the sources I spoke to mentioned that he knew of a few people who uh, one of them, they hadn't officially like formulated a headquarters yet. They're in the fundraising process for a fund, but they haven't directly set up shop yet. But they were going to set up shop where they live, which he didn't tell me what state it was in, but one of the states that have already enacted a very strict abortion ban. So they just were like, well, we're just not going to do it then. We just will not pay taxes here. Wow. So they were like, we either just will not incorporate. We just won't have like a direct headquarters in that way, or we'll hire an employee out of state and set it up where they are. So it's like they just, they'll stay where they are because they want to keep voting in that state with the hopes of hoping to flip it toward blue. But they were like, we just will not open that office and we will not pay the taxes. And he knew of someone else who said something sort of similar. They had an office in a red state with sort of a hybrid situation. Not that many employees, but people did go in and out. They're just shutting it down. It's a really fascinating anecdote and is a perfect segue into this last bit of our conversation, which is like, how do companies that have these really loud missions choose, do you stay and make a difference or do you kind of leave and not support something that's happening in your own state and and for your own employees too? And I'm wondering, I mean, that is one really vivid example of how a company can kind of do both at the same time. So I guess it, I guess it, it kind of takes away from that question, but are there any other examples of your seeing companies pursue? diversity and ideas, opinion, geography as a result of this? Or does it feel like still kind of in the early innings of how companies are going to find a way to do both at the same time? I think one of the things that came up in one of my conversations with a woman named Erica Lucas, who's based in Oklahoma, 
as she was saying that she's been working to sort of build the startup scene there and she's seen so much progress that she's committed to the fight. She said it killed her even before any of this happened. She had a really good line about how you see, especially for a state like Oklahoma, if you don't live there, you really don't see anything beyond the state headlines. So she's like, when the state is doing things politically and sort of making these decisions that look really bad, it completely clouds over anything happening at like the city level or like the county level. And she was saying both Tulsa and Oklahoma City have been really putting a concerted effort into building up their startup scene. And I've definitely talked to other funds in Oklahoma over the last year, which I never had done before in my career and definitely heard the same thing. Like there's a lot of cool stuff happening there. Lots of women are launching companies there and being encouraged to stay, which they weren't traditionally. There wasn't funding or there wasn't talent. And now that's starting to change. And she said this would just make her job impossible. But She really wants to see it through. She just knows there's great stuff happening in Oklahoma and she doesn't want to abandon it. It's such like privilege too to be able to choose to stay somewhere beyond necessarily even just this one issue. But if you are in a place where you can like ride it out, I mean, I I admire it so strongly. And I feel like I hope that her staying, like you're kind of describing, it sounds like is having a ripple effect of other people being like, okay, we're not ditching ship or giving up. Like we're just going to wait it out or not even wait it out, but fight it out. It sounds like, Um, but emerging startup scenes more largely, I can't gauge whether this is going to net hurt or net help them. Just like this ideological jolt because they've been building all this momentum. I mean, that momentum is still pretty fragile, it seems like. And so to have people leave or even do things where they don't open up the office, but they like still want to have a role there or expand there, to me, it just feels like it puts it in a little bit of a precarious spot as an understatement, maybe. Dom, what do you think? Yeah, no, I was just thinking about one of the founders I spoke to, Brittany Walla, who she was like, Austin is this vibrant place. It's great for networking. It's great for growing. And she was like, even if I move my company headquarters to Pennsylvania, she's like, I would love to stay in Austin. Um, So it's definitely a tricky situation right now. One founder that I did speak to, but that I did not necessarily, I didn't include into the piece. He's from Miami. And at first he's like, I don't necessarily know if politics will be enough to create this mass exodus of people, especially if you have people like Brittany who are like, you know, I do want to have the benefits of Austin. But he did think that it would change the way these areas are perceived, or maybe people might think twice about coming there. Because it's like, when we're talking about Oklahoma and everything, it's like, yeah, you know, Oklahoma has like a lot of potential and all these things. But if you could just live somewhere else in a blue state and receive those benefits, it's like, why would you necessarily go to Oklahoma? So I definitely think maybe these states are going to have to do an extra PR campaign. (laughs) I mean, I definitely know about um, states embarrassing cities. I'm from Florida and we have the Florida man articles. um, And that's all people know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you do. (laughs) That's a really good way to put it, because it's a range of emotions. Like it's not like bags are being packed, but there is so much power, like you're describing, of people rethinking their position at all. The same way we saw remote work and people rethinking where they work, how they work two years ago to what their comfort levels are in terms of seeing people to now like what is their take on I guess how important it is for them to be close to access to abortions. It's all such like a insane like collective and unfortunately unifying in some ways experience of people having to think about this. And I'll just end by saying it's kind of this weird like full circle moment where I feel like I remember writing in March like, okay, like it's the end of geographic focused VC funds because there's no such thing as investing in your backyard anymore. No one cares where you live. You could live anywhere. 
I wonder if, do you guys think that now everyone's kind of going to be double checking where their founders are based or are at least are hiring? You know, I wish that will happen, but I have a hard time thinking it will. I know a lot of VCs talked about sort of moving beyond the coast because of like better valuations and the like. And I still think as much as I wish this wasn't the case, I think it's going to be a money drives everything number one game. So if it's a good founder in that kind of a state or who maybe isn't taking as big of a focus on it, I wish it would have impact that, but I just don't think it will. As someone, I used to cover LPs pretty heavily and a lot of LPs have ESG mandates now and they are, oh, we won't invest in funds that do X, Y, and Z. And I still have yet to see them actually not invest in a fund for that reason. So especially (laughs) if investors aren't getting that from their backers, I have a hard time believing that would happen, even though I'm sure some VCs will. I'm sure especially smaller VCs, more mission-driven, especially like the big funds, even if they do take a stance on this, I would have a hard time believing money went went out at the end of the day. It's crazy that we have like vice clauses in venture still and don't have things that support what you're saying. (laughs) Tom, any last words to add here? No, maybe just to add on to what Becca said. I wrote an article a few weeks ago that LPs need to be more conscious of where they give their money. Founders need to be more conscious of who they take their money from. But at the end of the day, money is money. So we'll see. Thank you, Becca. Thank you, Dom, for joining Equity. I mean, this was the definition of nuance behind the headlines. So I very much appreciate it. And everyone, you can read their story on TechCrunch Plus. We'll link it in the show notes. We'll tweet it. We'll put it everywhere we can. So thank you again. And make sure to check out Becca and Dom. Do you guys want to shout out your Twitter handles before we let you go? Yes. Okay. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same handle. Dominic Midori. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, and I'm at Rebecca underscore Scutak with that fun Polish spelling. I'll We'll link it so it'll be fine, but just to keep your eyes out for it. And yeah, everyone else, we will chat with you on Friday. And if you want, come hang out with us on Thursday during our live recording of that same Friday show. Always a fun time and we'll be on Twitter spaces. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. 